Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen here with Monique Scott, and this is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Cindy Chavez is going to be taking a bit of a leave of absence for a couple of months. She wants to kind of... uh, I kind of do a little long-term retreat, and uh, so she is planning to be back around the spring equinox, which is kind of appropriate because she does all these uh, um, monthly uh, lunar readings for her her list of clients that like to listen in on that. But uh, she'll be back, and uh, Monique's going to be sitting in in the meantime, and uh, we may even get the, all three of us working together after that, kind of up on the air at this point. We aren't really, really sure how it's going to work out, but uh, that's kind of what we're thinking about. But uh, in the meantime, Monique was on as a guest uh, at the invitation of Dan Mangana about a week ago, and uh, so when Cindy told, actually about two weeks ago, and so when uh, Cindy told me that she needed to uh, take the time off, I immediately thought of Monique, and Monique said, yes, 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 yes. So I, I got to tell you, Monique, I love enthusiasm. I just absolutely love it. <laughs> well, you get that with me in spades, so. That's a good worry. thing. Yeah, and I kind of knew that, actually. I mean, from that interview, you know, it was kind of obvious, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, we had a great time. It was fun, and it was nice high energy, and nice. it was nice level energy, too. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. So um, to get things off to uh, the right start here, first of all, I told this to people on Friday. I was planning to do it Monday and Tuesday. I forgot to do it. But I want to let people know who are Android users. This is only for Android users using the LOA Today app um, because of a little huh, a little funkiness that Google and I had. <laughs> you have to, if you haven't done so already, you have to uninstall the current version of the app, go back to the Play Store, or actually just go through the link that we put into all the different descriptions here on the show, and then reinstall using the new version, which isn't actually new at all. Um, But uh, yeah, we ran into a little thing and it it, it all worked out in the end, but it does create a little bit of a, a craziness for an Android user. iPhone users, you're not affected. PC users, not affected. Mac users, you're not affected. It's only for Android phone users. You lucky Android phone users. You. <laughs> right. But we do appreciate you taking the time to uh, just make sure you do it in that order. Make sure you uninstall the version you have first and then install the new version. If you do it the other way around, you'll end up with a mess. Just don't even go there. <laughs> this is, this, <laughs> I'll say this is partly my fault, and it's partly Google's fault. It's like between the two of us, we both have a lot of finger pointing we could do. We're not going to do that. But, uh, yeah, just make sure you uninstall the current one first, and then everything will go very, very smoothly. So with that housekeeping out of the way, we had, Monique, we, we get quite a few emails and messages from listeners, partly because of the app, because in the app we have um, a question form that people can fill out, and they can actually, you know, tick the box of whichever co-host they're sending to. Your name is now in there, by the way, and you're listed in the co-host list. Here's a little bio about you, a link to your Facebook page. Um, But we got uh, an email from Deborah about a show that we did on on a Monday with Louis, Louis D'Souza, and uh, and now Amy Blackford, of course, doing that uh, show with me as well. Um, and she was responding to that, but she was also just sharing some really cool stuff. So I figured I'd, I'd read it here and make it a starting point for a conversation between you and me. Okay, um, cool. And she is a regular listener. She, she writes in a lot. But she says, thanks so much for addressing my question about Aphantasia. Are you familiar with Aphantasia? I don't I'm know. Not. It, it, it basically good. means an inability to visualize images. Uh, oh, okay. It's, I have that difficulty too. I mean, like 
Deborah and, and a number of other people, when we try to create an image in our mind, if, if we get anything at all, it's kind of dull and murky and very vague and doesn't have a lot of shape. The colors yeah. are wrong or not there at all. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. And of course, a name for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's a relatively new name. I think it came, I think somebody invented it about 10 years ago. So it hasn't been around as a name for very long. Ah, okay. Um, it, even though the experience of it's been around for quite some time for many people. But uh, anyway, we did a, a show talking about that. And she says, I totally see how labeling anything, that's a reference to a discussion we had, labeling anything, including this, could be very restrictive. But in this case, it's actually freed me up as I used to berate myself for things such as a dreadful sense of direction. I work in tourism. Yeah, that's not so good in tourism, is it? No. No, not really. And felt it was a case of not trying hard enough or not being present enough. I'm holding it lightly, though, with interest and curiosity, most definitely not seeing it as a negative, which actually leads me to what Louis was talking about. This understanding has given me more clarity and hence more freedom. Freedom and judgment, she writes, seem to have taken over the conversation in my bubble of reality now from trust. It feels as if that lesson has been learned, total trust that everything is indeed working out for the highest good of all. Freedom and judgment, I guess in part due to the RAS, another topic that we've talked about a lot, mm -hmm. are what are leaping out at me and are, of course, intrinsically linked, as Abraham often says. We're so free, we can choose bondage. And it feels to me that judgment is precisely what causes that mental and spiritual bondage. I personally have never felt so much freedom in this time of perceived mass restriction. It feels to me that this situation is forcing us, that's in capital letters, forcing us to realize that bondage is in the judging and labeling and polarization. And she loved Amy's beautifully articulated words on this. They, they so resonated with her. At the very beginning of all this stuff, I tried so hard to make sense on an intellectual level of what was happening until I realized I had to give it up as it was the ultimate rabbit hole. Each and every perspective could be justified. Turn inward, listen to your inner knowing. It was the only sane and extremely liberating option. The mind with all its opinions and judgments is not where it's at. The discussion also brought up for me the words of Anita Moyani. What if this is heaven? Hmm. Mm. And many thanks for all the uplifting, vibrating shows. So thank you, Deborah, for writing in. And uh, yeah, it was a great discussion, no doubt. Wait, what do you think of all that, Mindy? I mean, what, you don't really hear listeners sending in long emails like that very often in most cases, but we get them quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like she's getting a lot of clarity around um, her inability to visualize and not seeing it as a negative, but actually seeing it as a positive, which I think is growth. I think that that's really, really fantastic. What do you think? I agree completely. It was actually something I had to deal with myself and still deal with. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. It's not like it went away. Um, right. But I had to overcome the idea that, well, everybody talks about visualizing and I couldn't visualize. So I must be missing out. It must be that I have this inability to apply the law of attraction and make it, you know, manifestations in my own life until I realized, wait a minute. No, I know I've manifested stuff. Hold on here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it isn't. It isn't about vision then, is it? It's about vibration. And when we get there through, yeah, through vision, through sound, taste, touch, smell, feeling, intuition, however we get there. Vibration is vibration. Yeah. And that's all it really counts. Yeah. And, you know, again, I didn't even know that there was a name to it. And I'm so glad. Right. For, yeah. 
for putting me up on game, so to speak, <laughs> letting me know what's going on because I have, you know, quite a few of my clients that I coach, they have that um, uh-huh. inability to visualize as well. It's something that comes pretty easily for me, Walt. So I honestly never knew that there was a name to it, but, you know, um, I, I often tell my, you know, clients that if you can't, um, visualize, I have them the script about what it is that they're trying to manifest or whatever they're using the law of attraction for. And that seems to work pretty well because you have to focus while you're, Mm -hmm. while you're writing. Right. Right. And it's a little bit of visualizing if nothing else, just focusing on, on what it is that you're writing about. So. Well, certainly imagining, regardless of whether you're imagining in pictures, it's still imagining one way or the other. Because we all daydream at some point, right? We all have. Oh, yeah. 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 It's just that the way aphantasia people daydream is a little bit different from the way other people do. That's all. Yeah. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's no no right way, no wrong way. It's just the way that we're created and wired, right? It is. Now, Now, I do have to admit, I remember... There was an old film. No, of course, I'm not exactly a, a spring chicken, but back in, <laughs> but back around 1980 or so, there was a film that came out. It was a, um, uh, Dennis Quaid movie, I believe called Dreamscape. And it was basically a, you know, a, a B movie. It was not, uh, a top, uh, top rated movie, but it was a good one. And, and one of the themes of the movie was being able to, lucid dream and to become involved in your dreams and the scenes that they portrayed were very vivid dream scenes with really bright vivid colors you know just it was like exaggerated into how vivid they were and i remember commenting to somebody wow wouldn't it be great if dreams were actually like that and my friend said but they are like that (laughs) (laughs) and boy did i feel small at that point (laughs) like what (laughs) Up until that point, I thought everybody dreamed like I did. And then come to find out people actually dreamed in vivid images and they could do things with it. They could actually interact and all that. I I mean, I felt jealous. I really did, honestly. I'm still jealous, Walt, because that's something that I still would like to do. I would love to be able to lucid dream. It's interesting you say that. Cindy and I, um, who you're sitting in for, of course, were talking about that last week. And she gave an interesting clue on how to go about doing it if you want to develop it. Apparently, there are a bunch of things you can do. Uh, but one thing that you try to do is you try to create a, I'll call it an anchor, a, a, a repeated uh, pattern that you have a habit of looking for in waking state. And if you develop that pattern in waking state, you also will tend to develop it in dream state. And at some point, you'll, you'll notice that you did it. And, and the pattern is to look at a clock. Uh And then a moment later to look at the same clock and it should be either the same time or a minute later. Right. Uh Right. If you're in a dream state, when you look back, it'll be a completely different time. And so that's how you'll realize you're in a dream state. Wow. Okay. Right. And she told me a story about how she was trying to do it herself. And at one point uh, now she said she has in, in her kitchen, she has like, um, granite, dark granite counters and, and she would describe, you know, the floor and the, and the cabinets and everything else. And uh-huh. she's in this dream while well, she's in, she's in her kitchen talking with her son, but the counters are white. And she looks up at the clock and then she looks again and it changes time. She says, oh, I'm dreaming. 
And she turns to her son and says, watch this. Now she's five foot tall, right? She yeah. jumps to the ceiling and grabs the ceiling with her hands. Oh my God. Because <laughs> she knew she was in a dream so she could do anything. <laughs> now I'm super jealous. I would love to do that. How cool. I, well, I haven't died either, to be perfectly honest. But I got to try that. I've, I've got to try that technique to see if it works for me. Well, I've been using the phone because, you know, the phone will show you the time anytime that you turn the phone on, right? So yeah. I've been using that as a way I'll do it. I'll do one take. I'll put the phone down for a second. I'll give to another take, see that it's the same time. And I'm just trying to implant that. I've been doing that for a few days now. So, you know, I don't know how long it takes. It may take months. I have no idea. <laughs> well, keep us posted because I want to know how it goes. I want to know too. I'm going to be really <laughs> curious. <laughs> yeah, man, I would love to lucid dream. That's something that I've been intending to work you on have. now. Now, you know, you okay. and Cindy, y'all have given me a little bit of incentive to just dive in and see what happens. Well, I mean, you, it, how does the law of attraction work? You put out the intention that you wanted to do it. What happens? You're doing the show with me today and I'm giving you information. So yeah. you know, you're, it's starting yeah. to get there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love the law of attraction and how it works? I, the more that I learned about it, the more I'm amazed by it. The more I mean, I'm seriously. Involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that too. Yeah. I think probably the hardest concept for me where LOA has been concerned has been just coming to grips emotionally, mentally with the idea that I manifested everything that's in my life. I say that often here on the show. Right. And I think I say it mainly to reinforce it for myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because sometimes it can seem pretty incredible, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I have all this stuff. I, like, I'm looking around the office here. There's all this stuff. There's a computer monitor. There's a lamp. There's some papers on the desk. There's a pen. There's a calculator. And I manifested all that stuff. I didn't think of it as manifested. I went to the store and bought them. You know, but they, I, they are manifestations. Right. And that's the part that takes some time to kind of, whoa, that's a manifestation. I didn't really think of it that way. You know? Yeah, crazy but it stuff. absolutely is. Mm-hmm. It is. So that's kind of like the ongoing thing. Speaking of ongoing, um, listeners know about this, uh, and I told you briefly about it before we started today's show. I'm in the process of becoming a public speaker. Um, yeah, thank you. And I'm, I've been putting together my talk. I actually tried to do sort of an early version of the talk a few weeks ago on a Monday uh, when Louie showed up late and Amy wasn't able to make it at all. So I figured, well... Maybe I'll try to do it now. It wasn't really the best idea, actually, because I was not in a good space for it, but that's okay. I gave it a shot and got some good feedback. Some listeners uh, gave me some feedback, which was helpful. Gave me a chance to, I mean, I knew instantly what I was, what was working well, what was not working well. So it was good. It was worthwhile. And I've been working on it since then. One of the things I mentioned that day was I was not really sure exactly what I wanted to talk about. I mean, I knew who my target audience is. My target audience is college kids. I'm hoping to get into colleges and universities to speak to them. And my motivation is I've become really aware of the incredible amounts of stress and pressure that college kids feel these days, even more than when we were going to school. Way more. Yeah, way more. There was no internet for us. (laughs) Well, internet would have made it easier, actually. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I mean, having a computer would have been easier. I mean, yes, <laughs> that yes, old manual too. typewriter was not fun to write papers on. <laughs> you know, Walt, speaking of just for a second, my daughter and I was looking up some of our ancestry. And so we found a bunch of documents, various documents. 
And you know what my daughter said to me? She said, did everybody write in cursive back in the day? <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> oh my gosh. I thought that was hilarious. That's great. Yeah. Actually, you know what the fun thing is to do with a young kid today or anybody who's like 21 and younger is show them an old dial telephone and ask them if they can figure out how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That is so crazy. Oh, man. So much. Oh, my gosh. Time to change so much. That's a little sideline there. Anyway, getting back to what I was talking about, um, the topic that I have been aiming at for the, well, first of all, I was, like I said, I wanted to address the fact that there's so much stress and pressure that the kids are dealing with today. And toward that end, I was doing some research to, you know, because obviously if you're talking to colleges, you want to have stats to back you up and, and, you know, here's what the research is showing and so forth. And uh, I looked at the National College Health Assessment, which gets done every year. The most recent one was done in 2020. This was before COVID. It, oh, okay. it was last published. Um, and before COVID, 98.4% of all college students reported experiencing medium to high levels of stress. Wow. 98.4%. That's almost 100%. That's almost all the students. Can you imagine? How, how much higher can you make it with COVID? I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling. Yeah, it is. So, so that told me I was on the right track. That was definitely a topic that needed to be addressed. Yeah. And, you know, so I've been putting together my talk. I I have a a story that I can tell. Um, I started to tell it on that one episode. Basically, my freshman year of college was the freshman year from hell. It was a horrible year. And the reason is the school I went to put me into a four man room, four of us living in one room. Mm-hmm. And it turned out two of them ended up being the biggest drug dealers on campus. Oh, my gosh. To make matters worse, there was a housing crunch, so I couldn't get another room. There was no other place for me to go. And I was a pretty timid soul. I was a shy wallflower, basically, and yeah. didn't have a whole lot of self-confidence. Mm-hmm. So I did try to take a, a few steps. I tried a couple things. I tried the housing office, didn't get anywhere there. Um, this was before the current age. In the current age, there's all kinds of health services and everything. Yeah. Then I couldn't even find an infirmary on campus. There, wow. It was probably, this is a big campus. This is like 30,000 students. So this is like really, really big, but I couldn't find one. I did find a health office. It was one of these trailers, like a contractor uses. Yeah. You know? I know what you're and, it, about. and it said health office on it. And so I went up and tried to open the door. The door was locked. I knocked and there was nobody there. That was the health office. Wow. You know, now this is a number of years ago. This is like yeah. late 70s, but still, you know, that that's what I was dealing with. And I was terrified of going to the authorities because, well, what if they blame me? Yeah. You know, and I, I was afraid to tell my parents because, well, they're going to think it's my fault. <laughs> You know, like, which of course right. is not true, but that's what was going through my head. Like as a teenager, yeah. Yeah, of course. So I lived the whole year in terror. Oh, wow. And these guys, they had, every night was a party night in our room till like wow. three or four o'clock in the morning. You know, you, you, you try to get work done. Okay, maybe you leave the room to go get work done, but then you got to sleep. Yeah, you got to come back. I mean, you know, it, it was it was horrible. Somehow that first semester, I managed to get a 3.75 average. But 
but mentally I was falling apart. Mm-hmm. Mentally I was, you know, so point is, I don't want to go into the whole story. Obviously I have a story I can tell that shows extreme levels of stress and pressure. Yeah. yeah. And I figure, okay, well that's good. But I also want to teach them how they can eliminate the stress and eliminate the pressure. And I, I mean, I have a lot of games that I can teach. I've talked about um, games previously on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of different approaches that, that you can go with it. But I still didn't have my unifying thought until a few days ago. I finally realized what the unifying thought is. And it clicked in a way that also clicks for me about why law of attraction works. Mm-hmm. Why why you are the way you are, because you're a very upbeat person, why it's so important to be the upbeat person, why why all this and how all this stuff works. And, mm-hmm. and the way I got there was through science. I started with the RAS, the ARAS, the part of your brain that does all the filtering. Yep. And as I'm working through all that and, and basically building my case so that I can give my talk, I'm asking myself, okay, so what is it about that that makes that such a useful tool. Well, it, we can basically, it's a filter. We can use it to decide, you know, what kind of experience we're going to have based on how we focus our attention. Right. Okay. That's cool. But it also depends on us deciding correctly. I don't have a better way of saying that. Um, what are we going to focus on? In other words, what's going to focus, what focus is going to help us the most? Yeah. That's, that's when I finally honed in and I realized it's all contingent on self-love because mm-hmm. If we don't love ourselves enough, and, and that's the key word, enough. If we don't love yeah. ourselves enough, we don't yeah. have enough self-confidence. We don't have enough self-esteem. We, don't, we aren't self-empowered enough to make the choices we need to make well enough. Right. You're right. And in fact, it's the self-esteem, the self-confidence, the self-love that drives our ability to attract what we want. And if we're in a high vibe place, that's a self-love place. That's the place where we're able to get what we want. If we, if we try to attract from the low vibe place, what happens? Doesn't work the way we want it to. We get something we don't want, something we had absolutely no interest in at all, but we got focused on it, so we got it. (laughs) Right. The total, total opposite. Exactly. Exactly. So I figured let's, let's talk about some, some ideas around self-love because among other things, they'll give me some fodder for the talk. And I thought, well, that's a topic we haven't done in a while. So got time to do it. So oh, like, cool. I mean, I imagine you, you have touched on that topic a lot with your clients. Is there anything particular you go on when you're, when you're talking about that one? It's so funny that you say that because um, I did a talk uh, this morning on clubhouse And I was talking about really who you need to become in 2021 in order to ascend to your next level self. But in that, I talked about decisions and what are the decisions made on, uh, Walt? Self-love. If you love yourself, you make good decisions. If you make good decisions, you stay in a high vibration, then you attract the things that you really want. But if you're... Um, in a low vibration, you don't love yourself, you know, you're always putting yourself down. And it's so funny that we're talking about this because so many people have negative self-talk, Walt, that they don't even realize. Oh, oh God, yes. Stupid. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. I'm so dumb. Mm-hmm. You're an idiot, right? All those things that people say to themselves that they don't even really realize kind of starts to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when you oh, love yeah. You make decisions based on that self-love, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And boy, it's a killer when that happens. I mean, yeah. my favorite way to, to express it is, darn, I, I 
I screwed myself over again. Why do I keep doing that? Because <laughs> that's right. what it feels like, right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. That's exactly, exactly what it feels like. But, you know, luckily, we as human beings, we have the choice to decide. We have the ability to um, control the thoughts that we have and the, and the negative self-talk. It's just all about self-awareness and, and being aware when you do say those things to yourself and, you know, kind of catch yourself and say, oh, don't say that, Monique. You know, that's not true, Monique. You know, you're a great person, Monique. I, I almost do the mirror technique every single morning where I, I literally stand in front of the mirror wall and I tell myself how much I love myself. I appreciate myself. You're doing a good job, Monique, right? All those types of things where I am loving myself, not in an egotistical way, not in a braggadocious way, like I think I'm all that, but just to appreciate and love who I am, who the creator has created, right? And what I'm here to do in the world. It's interesting that you mentioned that too, uh, because, well, first of all, the mirror work is something that I want to include in the talk. But uh, yeah. it's also interesting because uh, my wife, Louise, likes watching all kinds of unusual TV documentaries, you know, digging through like Amazon archives and all that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. And she found an old interview of the comedian Mel Brooks. Yeah, I remember and, Mel. Right. And it, it, it was about Mel, but it was also told by other contemporaries like Carl Reiner and so forth, you know, uh -huh. expressing what it was like working with Mel and what it was like when he, you know, he got his big break and he made the producers and all this other stuff. Uh, and at one point in this show, I kind of stopped. Now, I, I wasn't watching. Well, I was, I was like seeing it as I walked back and forth to the kitchen or whatever from the office. And at one point, I stopped because I heard him talking about self-love. And he was saying, I love myself. Literally, I, ha I try to kiss myself every day. He's kissing himself <laughs> on the wrist. And I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I ever notice that before? I'm sure I must have seen that interview at some point. Right. You know? But I don't remember it. It kind of reminded me of, of what we talked about last week with the RDS, right? That if, if you don't have it filtered out, filtered in so that it comes through, you miss it. And yeah. what happened? I just missed it. But here's Mel Brooks saying exactly what we're talking about. You got to love yourself. You do. You do. And I think so many people maybe get that confused with arrogance or oh, sure. you know, being full of yourself or being pompous, but it has nothing to do with that. You know, it's not like you're feeling like you're more than anybody else, right? Well, you're just appreciating yourself. And that's not something that society, um, it's not something that society encourages us to do. And it's definitely not something that people talk about that I've heard of outside of conversations about the law of attraction. I've never heard anybody talk about mirror work outside of it. And in fact, I never heard of it before I started getting involved with the law of attraction. So- mm -hmm. It's vitally important to who we are as human beings on the planet, right? Because when you love yourself, then you have the capacity to love others. And I think a lot of that is missing in today's society. I think we both yes. can agree today is vastly different than when you and I was growing up. Completely. Just a bit. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like and little... the computer is only a small piece of it. <laughs> right. Because I remember... You know, in my neighborhood, I remember, and I know I don't want anybody to write write me on this, but this is how I grew up in the 70s. I remember if I went over to my friend's house and I did something bad, 
their parents had the ability to spank my behind, honestly. Oh my, yeah. Then they would call my mom and my dad, tell them what I'd do, and I'd get another spanking once oh, I boy. got home, Right? So, I mean, it's just yeah. different today. We all, I, and I, I know that they did that from a place of love and correction, right? It's not like nobody was abusing anybody's children, thank goodness, or anything like that. But it's just about loving one another and taking care of one another. And when you love yourself, then you love other people enough to want them to be better, right? To do better, have better. And and I think it's good, actually, that we've left that particular um, cultural icon behind. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of negatives, I would say, associated with it. But your story is a valid story because it shows how it was a very different time. And it does touch on, on a good point, which is that it's important to respect others because respecting others is a key portion yeah. of loving yourself. I think, yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, uh, a number of ways that people kind of confuse the issue where mm-hmm. self-love is concerned. One way that's, a, that's perhaps a more modern topic because it's come up a lot with famous personalities lately is narcissism. Oh my gosh, Pe- yes. People get all wrapped up about that and they think, well, I don't want to love myself too much because I really don't want to be narcissistic. You know, I don't really want to be that that vain, you know, oh, aren't I so beautiful person? Right. And every time I hear that, I think the same thing. I think to myself, that person doesn't really grasp what narcissism is. Right. Because narcissism is not actually self-love at all. No, it's quite the opposite, actually. Quite the opposite, yeah. It's self-loathing. Yeah, and it really the is. they act the way they act. Which is why they're constantly looking for everybody else to love them because they can't find a way to love themselves. Exactly. Exactly. So if you actually are concerned about narcissism, love yourself more. (laughs) It'll actually help. (laughs) Right. Right. Love yourself more and you won't be a narcissist. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great way to run in the opposite direction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I dated a narcissist, so I know. Oh, you did? Oh, my. I can't imagine it was very long, but uh, yeah, that would be quite the. Um, no. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think so. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. It just doesn't work. I mean, when you're emotionally healthy and the other one's not, I mean, it falls apart really fast. It just really does. fast. Unfortunately, I didn't know. I didn't know he was a narcissist at the time. I just mm. thought he's doing crazy stuff. Like, I don't understand. What's this? Why is he ghosting me? You know, and all this other Mm. gaslighting and all that. But I was, that was four or five years ago. I didn't even, I had never even heard of narcissism before. So I didn't know (laughs) what I was dealing with. I know now, right? Yeah. But yeah, looking back, I can definitely tell there was no self-love there. Because just like you said, just constantly fishing and and baiting me for compliments and to tell him how wonderful he was and he's Mm. the greatest and all of this right because he did not feel that about himself which is amazing yeah well the the world is our mirror and you were his mirror and you were he was he was scared to death of it (laughs) probably i was just as happy-go-lucky back then as i am now and he was very kind of reserved and stoic Mm -hmm. and very controlling, right? And I'm more of a free spirit. I I don't mm. really like the control thing. So yeah, you're right. It didn't last. Yeah, couldn't. I can't see how it would. No. <laughs> now the other thing, and this is probably the bigger obstacle that people experience when they consider the idea of building up their own self love, 
if I build up my own self-love, won't that make me more selfish? No. no. But that's the thought. That's that's the concern people have is what I'm saying. And I don't know how. I, I don't understand why would they think that? What is that no, line? Because you're loving yourself. If you're loving yourself, isn't that selfish? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I honestly cannot wrap my brain around that concept. I, I don't understand okay. how the logic behind that. I, I really don't. I'm not pretending. I really I believe you. Because it, it, it just stands to reason to me that it can be nothing but the opposite. If I love myself, then I'm not selfish because now I have the capacity to love others. You cannot give to someone else what you do not have for yourself. Oh my God. It's exactly the thought I was having today. Exactly. Word for word. I mean, seriously. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying I don't understand the logic because again, you know, you cannot give to someone what you do not have. I'm compassionate because I have compassion for others. Right. Mm. You know, I'm kind because I'm a kind person. I have kindness. Right. Same thing. I love others because I love myself. I have it to give. That's Um, the way to be. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. I think you're also touching on a very important point. And that is if for people who have a concern that they want to be helping others, that they want to do for others, the best thing that they can do is to build up their own self-esteem, their own self-love, which is not the way it's normally taught. I mean, most of the time, it's not taught at all. At <laughs> all. Perfectly. I mean, right. that's why when I was in my freshman year, I didn't know what to do because there wasn't an adult who could tell me what to do. They couldn't tell me that I needed to work on building up my self-love so I could handle the situation better, including bringing my roommates to the appropriate college authorities. You know, I mean, right. It was it, one was directly connected to the other, but I didn't know that there was nobody who could have taught me that. So this is an important topic. This is really good. It really is. And, you know, while sooner or later, you're going to start thinking I'm making stuff up. But I think it's so interesting interesting that I kind of had that same experience, too. Um, I think it was my second year in college. My college roommate, I noticed that she had a lot of um, um, name brand stuff. Prada was her favorite brand. Okay. at first, she just told me that her family was well off, like her family was rich, right? She okay. always had her nails done, hair done. Don't laugh, I'm from the South. She had gold teeth, you know, she had a, a gold tooth. Oh so, my God. <laughs> hey, back then that was bling bling or whatever. I right? guess, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, always had her hair done, her nails done. She had a gold tooth. She always had all this, like $100 bills. Everything wow. was bought up. So I'm just thinking, wow, her family's really rich. What do they yeah. do? And then as we got to know each other as the semester went on, then she told me that her family, her whole family really were drug dealers out of Opelousas. Well, oh, I'm my God. And I went to school in Lafayette. So Opelousas is maybe, I don't know, 15, 30 minutes outside yeah. of Lafayette, right? And so long story short, I understand because I, once I knew what she was doing, then I was scared. But like you, I didn't have the self-love. I, mm. I wasn't nowhere near the person I am today, right? And so I didn't want to get in trouble. Yep. I didn't want to 
Caitlin to come get me. Right, right. Um, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And just like exactly. you said, I couldn't talk to my parents. I wasn't going to talk to my parents. No. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to tell my friends either because they might confront her, right? So it's just so crazy how similar, uh, we've had a couple of similar um, incidences in our background. It's so crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, but can you imagine, though, if somebody like you or me, where we are right now, had gone to talk to us at that point in time and explained to us how self-love works and why it's so important and what you can do to build it up and what the result is going to be? Yeah. I mean, I think about that every once in a while. My freshman year would have been an entirely different experience if I knew that. Heck, my first boyfriend would have been a (laughs) different experience if I knew that, honestly. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Six years. I'll never say it's six years wasted. What I'll say is it's six years worth of learning experience. Exactly. Yes. He was my first boyfriend. I didn't know anything from anything, right? And it wasn't even like he wasn't abusive or anything, but Walt... If I loved myself, there's no way that I ever would have dated someone like him to begin with. And don't get me wrong, by all accounts, nothing was wrong with him, but he certainly was not my type, right? But the dysfunction that was in his family, I, at the time, I really thought was cool, right? It (laughs) It was like a warped sense of love, in my opinion. They were close, but they fought a lot. Not like physical fight, but it was just all chaos and drama going on. Clearly a den of people who do not love themselves, right? They abused alcohol. They partied. Oh, my gosh. It was awful. It was awful. But I thought it was cool because I grew up the total opposite, you know, Mm -hmm. no drama or whatever. But looking back, you know, what the Steve Jobs says, you can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? Not right, that's back. true. Yeah. So I can see how clearly I did not love myself. I didn't know myself. First of all, I was only 18. But I did not love myself enough to say, hey, wait a minute. This really isn't the type of guy that you want in your future. You know, this is not someone you want to marry, not someone you want to build a future with, not someone you want to have children with. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's so awesome. I can't <laughs> love him and marry him. And oh my God. Here I am in college going after a degree, and he's just home working a regular job at, at one of the sawmills, which there's nothing wrong with that. But he had no ambition, he had no drive. He thought everything that I wanted was, oh. You think you're all that kind of thing, right? Well, no, I was just trying to love myself, you know, but I couldn't give to him what I didn't have, right? That's true. Yeah, Yeah. it's really true. You said something else, too, that really struck home about how, I I don't know how you said it, but it was like you said you didn't have a sense of what your your purpose was or you didn't know what was important to you. You hadn't really figured that out. I don't know how Mm -hmm. you said that, but that was the gist of it. And yeah. that is a really, really big problem. It's been yeah. now that that is not new. That's been around for generations. Yes, I yes. know that with my graduating class. Now I had a pretty good sized graduating class in high school. We had like five hundred and sixty people, something like that. Oh wow! Class. Yeah, it was a pretty good size school. And I would guess out of that group, at least half had no idea what they were going to study in college if they were going to college. 
Right. And the ones who weren't going to college had no idea what they were going to do either and had no idea what they wanted to do. Yep. Hand up. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. That was me. And that's like, that, that connects directly in with self-love. I mean, it, it connects into a number of things, but that's one of the things I think it connects into. If you don't really feel good about yourself, you don't really give yourself a chance, first of all, to figure right. out what it is you do love, what it is that you do want. It's like you're, you're, right. you're waiting, you're waiting. Somehow life is going to deliver to you the magic formula of what it is you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. Oh my gosh, you're telling my story because that's exactly <laughs> what I thought. Let, I, seriously, Walt, that's exactly what I thought when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just muddle through and I'll just figure it out, right? I don't know, a beam of light will come down and I don't know, Scotty will tell me what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. Right, right, right. yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and, and why did you go to college? Because you're supposed to. Exactly. Because my mom told me I was going to. It wasn't an option. That's right. It wasn't, this was not up for debate. Right. Exactly. But, you know, but it's so funny because when I decided, you know, well, she decided that I was going to college, I decided on psychology because I really like people and how they, how they think. Right. Mm-hmm. But do you want to hear something funny? In my 18-year-old mind, I do you remember Dr. Ruth? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I felt like at 18, right, I felt like she's old. She doesn't know what she's talking about. They need some, <laughs> they need some new meat, some young blood on the scene, right? So, well, plus she was, she was like the stereotypical old Jewish lady, and she acted like it, and she talked like it. So she just felt old because of that. <laughs> right. And I would, I would watch her on Donahue, and I just thought, you know what? I'm going to become a sex therapist because she's just too old. Right? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and my mother was like, oh, no, you're not. I don't care what you change your major to, but you're not studying that. So, oh my goodness. Wow. But I ended up changing it like two or three more times, just like what we're talking about. You know, no self direction, no mm. self love, didn't know what I wanted, was not taking the time out to get to know who Monique was and right. what I what's unique about me that I could give to the world. Right. And, and speaking of my freshman year, that was went so terrible. It's not like I, I could not have avoided that. I mean, yes, I didn't know that my roommates were going to be drug dealers, but I shouldn't have gone to that school in the first place. This is a school of 30,000. I do well in a community about one-tenth that size. A smaller setting. A much smaller setting. And when I went to visit the school, I went with my parents. I mean, I was the one who picked it out. It was one of my four school choices that, that I had applied to. And they had the right degree program why did why was i pursuing this degree because i don't know that's why (laughs) (laughs) no that's why but they had it so that's why i was at that school visiting and my parents were visiting with me and they couldn't tell me what to look for in a school i couldn't tell me what to look for in a school so when i got accepted to the school i said okay okay i I had no criteria understood no criteria at all. So, I mean, how could I not add, end up in a, a situation where, you know, anybody could come along like two drug dealers and become my roommates? Talk <laughs> about I, law of attraction, you know? Yeah. My That's exactly one. what that was. Well, you, one, two, I mean, anything over zero. <laughs> I'm perfectly <laughs> honest. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Woo. Yes. But there's so much setup for that. 
that if, if you don't know what you want, the universe is going to just deliver stuff, especially if you're vibrating by default. I mean, I had no idea how law of attraction worked. I'd never heard of the term before. Right. I didn't hear about it for the first time till like 10 years ago. So, you know, it was outside of or my orbit entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really had no idea how anything worked. I, I thought life was pretty random. Um, I was convinced for most of my life that I had no control over my emotions. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. Wow. And I just thought it was me, but yeah, really. Oh, no, no. This, this, this is widespread. Yeah. I'm convinced of that now. This is widespread. I think most people do not realize that they can actually choose a different emotion given a particular circumstance. But you know what else was um, mind-blowing to me? When I realized that I could choose my thoughts. Yeah, that's least- scary, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm like, really? So I don't have to think the thought that came into my mind? Really? Mm. I can change it? I have the ability to do that. Is that okay to do? Can I do right. that? Right. <laughs> That's literally what I thought. I'm telling you, I was I was just binging on Bob Proctor because I just, it was just a flood of information that I had never heard before, had never right. considered, and definitely didn't have anybody in my circle outside of my ex-boyfriend who introduced me to the law of attraction that was saying these things certainly didn't hear him from the church that I was attending at the time. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh, is this really real? But indeed it is. Uh, I have to ask you, did, did your church find out that you were into this law of attraction stuff? And if so, how did they respond? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. That, 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 that sounds pretty emphatic to me. <laughs> no. And you know what? Well, Actually, once I started learning about the law of attraction, I stopped going to church. Oh, and really? I've not, to, I've not um, been involved in organized religion since. I consider myself way more spiritual now than religious, right? Although I was brought up Baptist, Christian, um, and I still do believe in Jesus. However, mm-hmm. my whole, my thinking just completely shifted. And once I started reading or, you know, getting into Neville Goddard, then my whole view of God and the Bible started to change. But I mean, that's another story for another day. But um yeah, so no. See, now this is really appropriate that you're sitting in for Cindy, because Cindy and I went through virtually every Neville Goddard book in existence, page by page. Wow. I yeah. love him. I love him. Yeah. I, really so, do. I mean, I have to admit for both Cindy and me, it was a bit of a struggle at first because both of us had backgrounds of basically abandoning religion early in our lives. Oh, really? And so the idea of reading Neville, which was all about reinterpreting the Bible, was like, oh, God, do I really want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and it was pretty heavy for me, like only like a year and a half ago. I just could not. I just could not comprehend what he was talking about. I get it now. I just couldn't then, Right. Because it goes against what you were taught in Sunday school. Yeah. Yeah. And I went to Sunday school. It's the same book, you know, but. (laughs) But a different interpretation. Completely different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, I don't know if you knew this. Did you know that Neville delivered most of his lectures in, it it wasn't a church. It was a, it was like a chapel, a Catholic chapel in New York City. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. No, I didn't. 
And no, when I... he gave his talks around the country, because he also traveled around the country for you know, the 30, 30, 40 years that he was doing this, um, very often he would speak in churches. Hmm. Which tells me that they they didn't understand it either. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. Or else there's no way, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) No way. Yeah, it it kind of uh, threw the whole idea of a holy trinity out the window. (laughs) Mm, Pretty much, right? Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I had um, my resistance to religion happened pretty early. I, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. Okay. And... Uh, in that church, you can become a full adult member of the church at age, I think, thirteen. Oh, if you go through all the studies and all that. You can you can do that. So I decided to do that because, quite honestly, I was as confused about religion as I was about the rest of life. So I figured, well, okay, hey, my dad's the biggest contributor in church. My my parents are really big in the church community. Okay, I guess this is where I should try to look next. Right. And so I took the classes and you know went through you know. To, learned how to become the communicant member. You had to, you know, study all the gospels they wanted you to study and so forth mm-hmm. and became an official member of the church and felt no different and understood no more. Mm. And I said, well, this doesn't work for me. Right. So I decided to do something that not too many 13 year olds do. I decided to start reading the Bible cover to cover to see what I'd missed in the Sunday school classes that they had, because they, they didn't cover a whole lot of it. They covered just the parts they wanted to cover. You know, huge right. chunks where I did no idea what was in the rest of it. So I read the whole thing cover to cover, which probably was not psychologically the best thing to do. <laughs> but, <laughs> Especially when you got to Revelations. I did it long before Revelations. The, first, the Old Testament was enough to send me into, oh, in, right. into therapy. I mean, it was just, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. By the time I was done with it, I was pretty much in perpetual shock. And uh, now, bear in mind, as a kid, I was not a strong personality. I didn't have a lot of self-love. So it's not like I wanted to go challenge anybody about it. Right. You know, I basically, I, I almost felt ashamed that I even read all this stuff. Um, but I did ask like little indirect questions, trying to understand why it was everybody was feeling so powerful about this Christianity thing. Because yeah. a lot of the stuff just didn't make it, it didn't add up. Right. And I found that the people in the church that we were members of, and I think this is probably fairly consistent across the board anywhere, they didn't want to know. They, 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 it was not a topic they wanted to delve into. They basically just wanted to stick with their pieces of biblical scripture that they always looked at. And that was it. And the rest of it, you just don't, don't even look at it. That stuff doesn't count. And I kept thinking to myself, it's an entire Bible. Right. I mean, how can you take one piece of it and say that the Bible as a whole is holy while ignoring the rest of it? Right. I had a lot of trouble with that. So basically, I joined the church at 13 and I left it at 14. Wow. Just a year. That's all it took. And and I'll never forget the particular service I was at that basically was the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. I was sitting in the service. And now this is a... um, a Protestant service. It's not Baptist, but it's, you know, it's, it's more like a Scottish conservative than, okay. you know, your typical Baptist, but like most Protestant um, denominations, they do responsive readings Yeah, and they were doing the responsive reading. And I'm looking around at everybody in the congregation as they're doing this reading. And mm-hmm. it was one of the Psalms, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Right. Which is supposed to be a very celebratory 
piece of scripture. Right. And they're all reading it like this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the lands. Well, where's the joy? <laughs> That's what I wanted to know. Where and so I asked, I mean, now I was pretty much near the end of my tether anyway, but I yeah. asked the question anyway, and they insisted they were joyful. And that was it. I said, look, I can't be a part of a church where they can't even be honest about what it is they're feeling. Wow. I wow. can't do that. Now, I, I didn't explain that to my parents that way because right. I would basically right. be in, in Dutch for the next you know, six years. That was not going to work. But that's right. what I was thinking in my head. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it was a bit of a challenge because I was the eldest of three children. The eldest does not stop going to church. That does that yeah. doesn't happen. You right. know? So when it did happen, it created a little tension, shall we say? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Well, so why I became, do you have to go? So why do I? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, it was a time. But I, by the time I got to college, I put that stuff pretty much behind me. Unfortunately, it also meant that the one source that could perhaps have been there to teach me self-love wasn't there. Right. You know, so I was kind of adrift. <laughs> I completely, completely understand because as I have grown in my own journey of self-love um again there's just such a disconnect for me to my baptist roots and what i was taught you know i was feeling like oh well if i do this god loves me if i do that god doesn't love me and my self-love in the church was predicated upon whether or not I felt like God loved me, if that made sense, if that makes sense. So if I'm being bad, God doesn't love me, then why would I love myself, right? How can I love God doesn't even love me because I've done this awful, terrible thing. Hmm. But if I do something good, oh my gosh, God loves me. I love me too because I've done this great thing, right? That's how I used to think. That's that's a roller coaster is what that is. Yeah, and it was, Mm -hmm. and it totally was. Totally was. Yeah. What What did it take for you to get off the roller coaster? <laughs> um, actually, just being introduced to the law of attraction and really. The, let me tell you, Walt. The thing that did it might sound crazy, but um, when my ex introduced me to the law of attraction, he put like all of this stuff on my computer, right? Tons of it. Tons of self help stuff, law of attraction, all that. But the one thing he sent to me was a YouTube series. I think it's like um, 15 or 16 videos that Bob Proctor did along with Michael Beckwith and Jack Canfield. Ooh. Yeah. And what he did was, what Bob Proctor did was he broke down all the chapters in the science of getting rich is what he Ah. did. And just he interpreted the chapter, but then he put his own spin on it. Then Michael has something to say, right? Okay. And then at the end, Jack had something to say to kind of tie it all together. Right, right. And when they did it like that, it made sense to me. And of course, there's a law of attraction that's looped in with that, right? And for the very first time, Walt, the very first time in my life, I started thinking, is it true that God really wants me to be happy he mm. really wants me to be prosperous it's really okay to be rich 
What do you mean it's my duty to be rich? (laughs) Seriously, this was the eye-opening moment for me that I started to shift. And it was just going against not everything that I had learned in church as far as the Bible was concerned. But it was like Neville Goddard. It was a different way of interpreting the Bible and a different way for me to see God and the universe. You know, back then, I, I would think if I didn't call him God, oh my gosh, or father or holy father, you know, he doesn't like that. Don't you dare call him anything outside of that. What do you mean the universe? What do you mean source energy, infinity, you know, infinite intelligence? What do you, no, no, no. (laughs) That's how I was brought up. So now listening to that just kind of catapulted me into um, my own individual journey, just learning more about the law of attraction. And as I did, then I started expanding my awareness about who I am, why I'm here, I stopped believing I'm a human being, you know, with a spirit and started remembering that I'm a spiritual being having a human experience, which is completely different, right? I love that phrase too. Yeah, just starting to view myself differently and everybody else. And that really was my journey to self-love because as I'm transforming from the inside out, now I can radiate that out to the world even more. You know, I'm already a, I consider myself to be a nice person, a kind, loving, compassionate person, but now even more so because I'm viewing people from a different perspective than I did before, right? I'm seeing us all as united. I'm seeing us all as one with spirit, right? Whereas I didn't before. That's wonderful. That's really, really good. Yeah, this this is obviously the first of a lot of conversations we're going to have, but boy, we got this off to a good start. Really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> I want to remind people that the LOA Today app is, first of all, it's the way to listen to episodes. Second of all, it's the way to send in questions. And we now have Monique listed as one of the people you can send a question to. So take hey, her name, send in a question, and become a part of this conversation like you do the other four days of the week. Because, I mean... Look who I'm talking to here. Listen to the story this lady has to tell. It's fabulous, and you want to be a part of it. So please send in those questions like Deborah did. Um, obviously, Deborah was responding to what we talked about on Monday. But you know, send in a question aimed at Monique, too, and we'll make it part of the conversation. So first of all, congratulations on doing your first complete episode as an official co-host of LOA Today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been amazing, as usual. As usual, so we really appreciate it, and uh, we're looking forward to doing uh, the next couple months worth, and who knows how many beyond that. I, I, I think it's going to be cool when you and Cindy get in the same room. It's going to be really something. But I'm we'll, excited. We'll see how that goes. We'll, we'll, you know, for the moment, we'll just live with what we got right now because it's really right. Cool. Okay, so that's good. So thank you very much. And our live stream was actually pretty quiet today, although Jeffrey did say hello. So thank you, Jeffrey, for saying hello. Thank you especially to our podcast listeners because, quite honestly, without you guys. We wouldn't have a podcast. Right. You make it all worthwhile. So thank you very much. We'll see you all next time. You're on LOA today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.